Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 4 of the True North Podcast. My name is Benedict Rhodes. Canada climbed back to the top of the women's hockey pyramid at Beijing 2022, winning the gold medal after an undefeated run to the final and outscoring their opponents by nearly 50 goals. On today's episode, Claire Palmer of the Golden Star and Black Press Media joins me to recap the major storylines from the tournament and discuss the future of professional women's hockey here in Canada. I hope you enjoy this great discussion. I'm excited now to be joined by women's hockey aficionado and Rec Laws superfan, Claire Palmer. Uh, Claire, how are you? Uh, a lot better before you mentioned the Rec Laws, for sure. Um, as I mentioned off the top of this show, uh, this episode is all about Canada's win in the, the women's hockey tournament at Beijing 2022. Uh, Claire, we've had a couple of weeks now to sort of digest it, I guess. Uh, what are your thoughts on the tournament looking back now, I guess? Yeah, um, I thought it was a great tournament. Uh, overall, you know, Canada, USA, they just keep getting better every year and one of the most impressive team Canada's we've ever gotten had the privilege to watch men's and women's. Um, they just dominated the tournament. Um, but even in the kind of lower level teams, we've seen a lot more competitiveness. So overall you were guaranteed to watch a good game this tournament. And I think especially in the absence of the NHL players on the men's side, it, it really provided a bright spot um, throughout the tournament and throughout the Olympics. Like I just, it was, it was so much fun to watch. And if you missed any of the games, you, you really missed out. And uh, throughout this tournament, you know, in the group stage, especially Canada, were just sort of dominating teams. You know, like there's a couple of games that were like 11 goals, 13 goals, and a goal point. Like, um, you know, maybe recapping just the group stage specifically. You know, Canada had a pretty good time of things, and, and then finished it off with a, with a sort of first game against the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just the the preliminary stage uh, was really where you got to see Canada's depth, especially. Um, you know, they, they gave Finland one of Finland's worst losses in that program's history. And it's always good to beat the U.S. And especially, you know, when when we first started that Canada-U.S. game in that preliminary stage and you saw the U.S. kind of come out guns a-blazing and Canada managed to go up, you know, I think it was 2-1 in that game uh, at one point. And, they, and they, they cruised to that 4-2 victory and it really showed how Canada's depth is really not to be matched in this tournament. Um, they just, they were able to score at will and that's really what set them apart here was just their their ability to shut down good uh, offensive opportunities from the other team, but also capitalize on their own. And uh, what did you make of the format in the preliminary round? Like, for example, the group stage, like Group A, all five teams automatically knew they were going to the next round, but Group B, only three of the teams knew. Like, what did you think of that format? Yeah, um, I think just where women's hockey is right now, I I, I think it's the best format because you don't end up with, you know, Canada, U.S. playing each other in the quarterfinals and maybe one of them getting out or or something like that. Like it does kind of guarantee that the best teams move on uh, because there is still a little bit of disparity between those top three teams, Canada, U.S., Finland and the rest of the field. Um, so, you know, I, I think in the future, it'd be nice to see it progress to kind of what we're more used to with these international tournaments. And I think a lot of people that format took them a bit by surprise, but um, I think for where women's hockey is right now, I think it does, it keeps it competitive and it lets the good teams play each other, which lets them get better, but it also lets the teams that are still developing play the other teams that are still developing so they can get those competitive games and continue to develop their programs. And uh, jumping ahead now, gold medal game for a minute. Uh, you mentioned it, Canada, USA, greatest rivalry in hockey. Canada goes up three, nothing, but then the States kind of, claw back a little bit they score a goal and, and goes into sort of a nervy third period like what are your thoughts going into that final frame yeah I mean my thoughts at the time of the game was oh my god we've got this in the bag and uh definitely clenched through that last 20 minutes there 
uh, was not, you know, the U.S. is not a team that you can take lightly. Like they've they've proven in the past that they can come back. They came back in 2018 when they beat Canada in the shootout. Um, but Canada's also proven that they've got that gold medal caliber. Like they've come back from their own deficits in gold medal games, and they've they've proven that they can they can do it. They've got that gold medal drive. So, you know, I think it spoke a lot to to Canada's kind of prowess as a team that you know even when U.S. was kind of putting on that pressure and really laying it on thick. They were able to still keep them to the perimeter, you know, make sure that they didn't get the highest danger shots, although they did still, you know, get those two goals in the third period there. But um, yeah, I just, I just, it was a great game. It's, it's always how you want to see it with Canada, US, you want to see it go down to the wire. So I'm glad that they won, but um, it would have been nice if it stayed three, nothing. Um, after the mention of the 2018 final, after that game, you know, there's a lot of constant reminders and constant feelings that maybe Canada needed revenge after being denied that gold medal. And I'd imagine you know, the Americans are feeling the same way right now. So how important is that sort of rivalry and maybe sort of a friendly hatred, I guess, for each other to keep pushing each other forward and, and you know, we'll probably see them again in that gold medal game in 2026. Yeah, it's definitely, it definitely pushes the teams to be better. Um, I do recall reading an article. I can't remember where it was. Uh, where a Team Canada player said that after that 2018 loss, they all got a clock counting down to the next Olympics when they could finally avenge that shootout loss. And so, you know, that eventually ended up leading to one of the best Team Canada's we've ever seen. So I'm sure Team USA is feeling the same way right now. And hopefully they'll use that to kind of motivate themselves to be better. And, you know, if they win in four years, then it's Canada's turn to try, train harder. And so it's just going to keep pushing the two programs to be to be even better, which in turn pushes Finland to be better and in turn pushes all the programs to kind of try and raise their level of compete. And uh, the final was the most viewed event of the Olympics, according to some sources. I think three million people on NBC alone in, in the States and not to mention the game was at 11 p.m. Eastern time. Like, what are your thoughts about those numbers? And I guess sort of a statement of intent that a vocal minority of people, including a certain Toronto Star columnist, are, are wrong, that women's hockey doesn't belong at the Olympics and doesn't deserve the same respect as the men's tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, this point's been made over and over again, but you would never say that about the basketball tournament in the Summer Olympics, that the U.S. just dominates every year men's and women's. You know, you would never say that about the men's side of the tournament, where I believe it's three three teams have won gold medals over the last 20 years. It's it's um, it's just completely ludicrous to kind of suggest that it doesn't belong because it is the number one stage and it is where women's hockey kind of gets its most views from, which is a bit of a shame because there is women's hockey going year-round between those four years. Um, but it belongs there because it is what gets the most eyes on the sport. Um, and an analogy I always use is that it's like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. If you show the games, people will watch. And especially in the, uh, the NHL's absence on the men's side, it's really given a, a time for these women to shine over the last two Olympics and become like the most viewed events at the Olympics. Hockey is one of the premier events at the Winter Olympics every year. And, and the women have raised to that and they've proven that they can provide some world-class entertainment for millions of people and people do want to watch it. You mentioned the, if you build it, they will come sort of, sort of mantra, I guess, like how important is it now that, you know, over the next four years, we've been saying this for many years, of course, but especially over the next four years, maybe that, you know, they keep promoting world championships and, and, and all these other games, like the, 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 uh, the dream gap tour and, and these kind of things to sort of really sort of hammer home now. Yeah, it's, um, it's time for all of us to step up. And I think for me personally, after the last Olympics, because right after those last Olympics, um, I believe it was within a year, we saw the CWHL fold. 
And I think we all kind of took for granted that women's pro hockey existed. And, you know, for me, it was kind of a wake up call that you can't, you can't take it for granted and you do have to go out of your way and you have to support these women. And there's plenty of easy ways to watch the games like the NWHL or the former NWHL, the current PHF has made it incredibly accessible to watch their games on Twitch. I believe they're on TSN now. Like there's, there are ways to support these women. You can go to U sports and watch games. You can go to your local level teams for the provincial women's hockey league in Ontario NCAA, it's all televised. So, you know, there, there are avenues and it is important to continue to promote these, but, you know, as well, if they're not going to promote it, like us as viewers, if you enjoyed what you saw at the Olympics, you've got to seek it out because it is there and you can watch all of these players that put on a show play year round. And yeah, you mentioned the CWHL folding and, and we kind of have these two battling organizations, I guess, in the PHF and, and the PWHPA. Uh, what do you think is sort of a realistic, maybe short-term goal for bringing professional women's hockey back to Canada? beyond the Toronto six and in the PHF? Yeah. um, You know, I think that there just needs to be support for it. There needs to be a movement. Um, You know, I I don't think that the uh, PWHPA and the PHF like to see themselves as competing. Um, You know, I do kind of compare it to what's going on with women's basketball because they have the WNBA, but they've also got this new upstart league with um, athletes unlimited. And so there's two women's basketball leagues coexisting kind of in harmony right now and they're not really in competition so it would be good to see something like that it would be good to see some maybe corporate dollars stand up in Canada and say hey you know we we want to support a a pro a pro women's hockey league that pays a living wage and allows them to do that and you know the PHF has done a great job and they're looking to expand into Montreal for the next season which is a really exciting opportunity Um, but you know the money just needs to kind of stand up and I think it's time for some corporations to put their money where their mouth is and say hey like we're, we're ready to make this happen. And uh, you mentioned this, this, this kind of, the two organizations don't really say that they're fighting with each other, but there's kind of a stalemate, I guess, maybe in, in uh, what they're maybe looking for. Like everyone seems to want a full-time sustainable league, but uh, at the same time, they're not really joining forces. Like, do you think there's a chance that these two join forces eventually? Or, or do you think that they're going to maybe have a Canadian league and an American league? And that's just going to be kind of the way it is. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're still in the early years of women's hockey. It, it didn't really become formally, it didn't really take off until the 90s um, in terms of international competition and seeing like these pro leagues really being pushed forward. Um, so, you know, if you look into the early days of the NHL, it was kind of a similar story. So I, I do have hope that there will be like a uniform kind of best on best one league, similar to what we see with the NHL on the men's side. Um, whether it's the PWHPA or the PHF that kind of become that or a totally new third entity because we all kind of thought that that's where the CWHL was going you know there was an NWHL that lasted for two years in the early 2000s there's there's all these been these iterations and so I think as long as women are playing hockey there will be a pro league for them Um, I don't know if it's going to come between a merger I don't know if there'll be a third league that kind of starts up Um, but there is an appetite for it and I think you know especially like for me personally, I think it'd be a shame to see Marie-Philippe Poulin's prime wasted not being played in a, in a best on best pro league where all of the players, like I want to see her play against Michaela Grant-Mentis from the Toronto six. I want to see Soroya Tanker face off against Hillary Knight. Like I want to see these players compete. Um, there's definitely, you know, I think there is a bit of a stalemate right now, but there is a future for it. And I think, especially considering how successful it was after the Olympics, the time is kind of right to really um, capitalize off of the momentum here. And uh, you mentioned as well the potential PHF expansion into Montreal. Like, do you think maybe that we could see an NWSL kind of soccer style model or maybe expansion into Canada? Um, like maybe two or three teams is probably the, maybe the best way on, in the short term to kind of just get teams off the ground and, and get teams going? 
Yeah, that's something that I personally, I would love to see. And I'd love to see the WNBA come to Toronto as well, especially because the WNBA is so interlinked and, you know, tied with the, the NBA. If you've got a Toronto team, like you might as well. Um, for an NWSL team, you know, I, I think it's time that it comes to Canada or at the very least, you know, to see like the, the Canadian Premier League step up and have their own kind of women's, women's side to the men's side, like have that joint kind of operation there that you see quite often with like the Champions League and in, in, uh, in Europe. Like there there is precedent for this. And I just I don't understand why in Canada we don't have pro leagues, because especially, you know, the women's soccer team was the most watched event in Canada for the Summer Olympics. I, I just, I don't see why people aren't standing up and trying to capitalize off of this momentum. And uh, what about leagues in Europe as well? Like you mentioned, like Finland stepped up over the last couple of years. They, they won a bronze medal in, in Beijing. Like um, how, how do you think having a, a strong North American league or a strong ecosystem anyway, might help sort of boost hockey in other countries as well and, and kind of get other leagues off the ground for players in other countries as well, of course. Yeah. I think, you know, having more leagues in competition with each other, I mean, especially if you don't have one that's paying a living wage, it's not exactly feasible for players from Finland to come over to North America and develop here if they're not, if they have to have a second job to do that, you know? So I think that being an option would also require the Finnish league to, you know, properly pay their players. It, it's just that it's the tide that raises all boats. You know, if you have one thing, it's going to, it's going to for, force everyone else to kind of race to that level. Um, but it would be interesting to see, you know, a women's league take off in Europe. Like there are quite a few, there's like the, uh, there's a Russian league. There's a Swedish league that we see, I believe Alina Mueller plays in. Um, I'm not quite sure. So don't quote me on that, but you are seeing great players emerge from these um, European leagues. And it would be great to see the same thing happen in North America for sure. And uh, another interesting part of, of this Olympics where China had a team for the first time. We, we saw the players from the, from the Kunlin Red Star uh, women's team coming in and playing for, for their national team and, uh, do you think that there's a chance we see maybe them play in the future Olympics and maybe start to invest in their program more now that we've had a taste of it, a home Olympics and, and there seems to be some interest. They, they were pretty good in some games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I would love to see that program take a step forward. I know that they have actually been putting some money into it. Um, I remember from my own minor hockey days, they actually, the Chinese national team came over and they played our PWHL team, uh, the Aurora Panthers at the time. And so they came to Canada, they, they trained here, and then they did a tour of some of our higher level teams to play just to kind of get that experience. Um, you know, and I think like we've proven that there, there is an appetite in China for the, for the game and they're producing good players. Although I know that their goalie is uh, a Canadian. So, you know, I don't know if they'll want me to really promote that, but um you know, we, we are seeing kind of the game rise there and man, I would just, I would really love to see it take off in kind of non-traditional demographics, especially ones that maybe men's hockey hasn't really solidified itself in. I think that's a wide open market for women's hockey and it's exciting to see it take off. And uh, going back to this tournament in particular as well, like there was some adversity during the tournament on the ice as well. Like Meli Dau, for example, had an injury at one point and, and Canada to play with N95 masks on after a COVID issue with, with the, uh, the ROC. What does it say about sort of the resilience of this team? You know, we've mentioned the league, we've mentioned other, other, th- other ways they've been resilient. Like what does it keep showing you that the way these, these women play? Yeah, I think that resiliency, it's a good word, but also passion. Like these women really do play for the love of the game and it, it, it's what you want in sports. You know, it's the reason why March madness takes off. It's, it's not playing for the millions of dollars, you know, they're playing for the love of the game and simply for the drive to compete. Um, which adds, I think, a nice level of depth to the tournament and to these women's teams because they really do, they play with their heart on their sleeves and they they play with such a drive that it's impressive. And yeah, like the adversity that they overcome, it just, it makes them, it makes them better. And 
it really makes you love the team even more. You know, like the American side as well, they had to overcome their own problems with Brianna Decker going out for the whole tournament in their first game. Um, and it like something like that really brings a team together. And it's just so compelling to watch them kind of do that together as a team. And so, yeah, I, I don't know how much else I can say about how, how impressive it is that these women just continue to play and they, they do so and they get better and they just, they, they're pushing the programs forward of their own volition because there isn't that money necessarily backing it up like you do on the men's side. Yeah, unfortunately for Brianna Decker, she was right behind Marie Fouplet-Poulain when she scored the, the winning goal. <laughs> yeah, like, hello, darkness, my old friend, playing <laughs> in her head. Looks scarred. Um, gold medal aside, what was your highlight of the tournament? Oh, man, highlight of the tournament. Um, it's got to be the, the Poulain game winning goal again. Like, I just I, – I can't say enough about how much I love Poulain. She's – you know, when I first started playing hockey in 2010 – I went and I got to watch her score two goals. Well, I didn't get to go in person, but on the TV with my first ever hockey team, watched her score two goals. And it's just been such a pleasure to watch her career take off. And just seeing her get the gold medal hat trick was, I like I was in, I was at a bar here in Golden and I just like screamed my head off. I was like, I can't believe it. And everyone's looking at me like I'm the weirdo. And I'm like, how are you guys not freaking out? Um, but also just seeing the emergence of the rookies was another highlight for me. Like Sarah Fillier, not, not enough can be said about how promising she is. And Clara Thompson, I feel like, you know, she she got some coverage, but she flew a little bit under the wire there with the fact that she was a plus 23 the whole tournament and had like 11 points as a defenseman, as a rookie defenseman. So it's it's really impressive to see how they rose to the challenge at an Olympics with limited international experience. And then one name we, we've somehow gone like 15 minutes without mentioning is Sarah Nurse, right? Like she yeah. she led, led the tournament in scoring, uh, I believe set the record for most points and most assists in the tournament, like what can you say about her anymore? Like she's, she's just completely gone off the charts in that tournament. Yeah. I feel bad for Darnell nurse and kind of <laughs> Keenan nurse where it's like, man, both of them are so impressive, but like they're, they're minor storylines. Darnell nurse who's like the down the rung of impressive athletes in his family, despite the fact that he himself is an NHL player. Like it's crazy. Um, before I let you go uh, rapid fire round, I'll, I'll ask you five questions. I want you to give me, First answer comes to mind, and in some cases, why you picked that answer, okay? Okay. Uh, first one, which Canadian player was the most underrated in Beijing? Oh, man. <laughs> um, you know what? This is going to be a bit of controversial, but I'm going to say Anne-Renée Debian, because I don't – people were talking about how great she played, but I don't think we can talk enough about how great she played, considering how Canada dominated the games. Like, obviously, we know she played well against the U.S., but she played so well against all the other teams – that she almost flew under the wire. Yeah, I'm gonna go for, for Claire Thompson. I think she was she was amazing on the blue line. You said plus 23, I think, and and some big points. And again, looks like another one who's gonna be someone to watch for many years to come. Still. Mm-hmm. Uh, second one, whose stock rose in Beijing? Similar vein, I guess. Sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, who whose stock rose in Beijing? Whose stock rose? Yeah. Uh oh, definitely Jamie Lee Rattray. Yeah just like came in as a fourth line player, subbed in for Dao, you know, really proved herself to be an invaluable kind of just every man person that could play where she needed to be and rose to the challenge every game. Yeah. I don't know for, for Debian, like you mentioned, like she, she knew she was a solid goalie, but I think she kind of became a household name at some parts in the tournament to a level, like you said, that maybe she wasn't there before she was in Beijing. Um, which players on other teams impressed you? There aren't non-Canadians. Like who were some of the names that sort of stood out to you? Um, Alina Mueller always from Switzerland always impresses me and I'm really impressed with the steps that that program has taken and she's been uh, 
she's been a big part of that. So I think that that's a name that you, you all should be paying more attention to. For, for sure. Um, you've been, you did this a couple of times already, but uh, do you think this is the best version of Team Canada we've ever seen? And if so, why or why not? Absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, just the way they dominate games, the way they hold themselves, their poise, their confidence. It's a perfect mix of, you know, Poulain and the veterans hitting the primes of their careers, but also young rookies coming up right behind them. Um, yeah, they're just, there's just so many things going right for them. The depth is insane. The goaltending's there. Just, there's, there's not a complaint that I have about the team. Um, and, and last one, after the gold medal game, you tweeted, uh, millions of years, the earth has existed, but somehow we were all blessed to exist at the same time as Marie-Philippe Poulain. Um, you mentioned her a couple of times already as well. Like, is, is she the greatest women's hockey player of all time? And, and yes or no? And why not? <laughs> it's, um, it's hard to say because she's still, you know, we, we're still probably going to get another Olympics out of her, maybe two if we're lucky. She's, she's only 30, 31. Um, I think she could well be on her way to becoming the best women's hockey player of all time. It's, you know, she's up against Haley Wickenheiser and Angela James. And so that it's a tough it's a tough kind of crown to take away from them, but I think she's well on her way to doing it. Just, there's no one more clutch than her. And like, that's where you really see it. It's just her poise in the big moments. She's, she's just unbelievable. And I think we really, we really do need to take, take a moment to just appreciate the fact that we get to watch her work magic when, it, when we get to watch her play. And, and I believe it's a goal in four straight gold medal games, not to mention the winning goal in the yeah. world championships as well. Like she's definitely in that conversation. Yep, and in, in their three gold medals, all the game winners came off her stick. Just insane. Um, Claire, thanks for coming on the show. And is there anything you want to plug or maybe tell people where they can follow you online, maybe? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you can follow me and my work at, on Twitter. Claire Palmster is my handle. Um, if you're interested in local BC politics, you can follow the Golden Star, although I don't think there's a lot of crossover between Olympic coverage and local government town council. Perfect. Uh, everyone go drop a follow. And, and Claire, thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Thank you again to Claire Palmer for being today's fantastic guest on the True North podcast. If you like this and want to be the first person to listen to future episodes, as well as receive all new written stories directly into your inbox, you can subscribe for free at truenorthsports.substack.com. You can also follow True North on Twitter at True North underscore sports and on Instagram at True North Sport. My name is Bandit Rhodes and thank you for listening to episode number four. I'll see you next time.